everyone, La here from TGL. Just doing a quick intro for our latest episode of the Back and Forth podcast, a ping pong chat about logistics. In this episode, we feature Mike Mortson, who is the CEO of SupplyChainGameChanger.com. It is a platform he created to deliver a lot of the articles he has written in the area of supply chain management. He's a prolific writer. He has uh, written many, many articles, and they are super interesting. So Mike has spent all of his career in the field of supply chain management. Some of the pieces, some of the ideas he's penned um, are quite groundbreaking. Definitely a passionate guy in his area of expertise. Enjoy this episode because I definitely did. Thank you. You are listening to Back and Forth, Ping Pong Chat About Logistics. Brought to you by TGL, Think Global Logistics. So, Mike, um, again, I want to thank you for your time, for um, uh, joining our podcast, um, which is called Back and Forth, um, a Ping Pong Chat About Logistics. Um, I, I know your background is um, more into the overarching supply chain area where you really dive into the true essence of supply chain. I myself, uh, for those of um, you are listening, um, I'm involved in freight forwarding, which is a subset of logistics. And, um, and, and logistics is then a subset of the overarching supply chain. So, Mike, thank you very much for being our guest and um and we came about yourself um, by reading one of your articles which was um, i believe titled the renaissance of the supply chain or something along those lines where yep. you were masterfully painted the plight of the supply chain and logistics industry with the backdrop of the great renaissance right um, um yes. the great renaissance as we know was the let's call it how should we call the great renaissance the shedding of the old ways or the shedding of the scheme where we became a new thing, you know, new ideas, new art, new literature, new, new way of community for you to be able to write a piece that um, about an industry or about a, um, um, a supply chain logistics, something that is very practical. And to be frank, to most people quite mundane for you to pull that back into a backdrop of the renaissance i thought it was very masterful so um again welcome mike and uh, for our audiences would you introduce a little bit about yourself yeah thank you thank you la for the uh, opportunity to be on your podcast uh i'm mike morton uh, founder of uh, the website supplychaingamechanger.com I began my career in 1982 in uh, manufacturing warehousing logistics uh, engineering, IT. Uh, I've worked in uh, uh, sales and marketing and global operations, global procurement and supply chain. Uh, I've worked in uh, several different industries. Uh, and about, um, I guess, six years ago, I retired. But I thought, you know, geez, I had such a wonderful career. I had the chance to work with a lot of great people all around the world, many different industries, did a lot of great things, had a lot of wonderful experiences. And I was looking for, you know, a way, how can I, you know, leverage all that knowledge and stuff that I had? So I came up with the idea of starting my site, supplychaingamechanger.com, um, with the fundamental mission of sharing experiences and expertise to help anyone and everyone around the world. 
no matter what they're doing. So uh, I've been running the site for about six years. Uh, to date, there's over 1,500 articles on the site. Uh, there's something for everybody. And the content I publish is not the daily news. It's, it's evergreen content. So anybody dealing with any kind of problem at any time, any industry, any, you know, any day of the year should be able to go to my site and find something that should help them uh, on their way. So, you know, that's a little bit about uh, myself, Law, and uh, what brings us here today. So for those of you listening, haven't worked it out, Mike, from his accent, he's a Canadian, um, and I believe you're based in Toronto, is that right? Yes, yes, that's right. Okay, right. So before we get into the good stuff, how did you get into the field? Um, well, it's really, I guess you said in the introduction, my view of... Uh, I do not subscribe to the traditional view of supply chain, which is a back office function, which is, you know, the warehouse and it's the procurement team dealing with suppliers. To me, that's very limited and it's a very dated view of supply chain. I view supply chain as being the uh, most pervasive and all-encompassing function that governs how any any company in any industry runs. So if you start off with strategic planning to tactical planning, to asset management, uh, from development through to product introduction, you know, sourcing, manufacturing, distribution, logistics, uh, or customer service, order management, reverse logistics, the entire end-to-end -end, uh, function of a business really comes together under the umbrella of supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, so when I think back on my career, that covers what I've done. I have run uh, global manufacturing operations and distribution centers and warehouses and sales and marketing teams and IT organizations and engineering and on and on and on. Um, uh, so every company that I worked on, it was really a progression of me and in, uh, in my personal development, my career advancement, uh, uh, you know, which allowed me to kind of develop and hone all of those skills. Right. So what was your first job? Um, <clears throat> I mean, um, coming out of university or college, was it in supply chain logistics? And, and how did you came about it? Um, I started my career at IBM out of, uh, out of university with my industrial engineering degree okay. from the University of Toronto. Right. Um, uh, the first job I had was in the material handling and packaging engineering department. So right in the center of supply chain, uh, I was managing warehouses. Uh, at the time, the company, I, the organization was, I was with was converting to an automated warehouse system. So I was doing all of the warehouse planning. Uh, I was managing all of the material handling systems, introducing automatic guided vehicles, uh, working on packaging and, uh, you know, kind of all of the above. Would you say that what you did in your first job at IBM handling the materials there was what you were studying for in college? I picked industrial engineering as a career path because to me it was broad enough that I could, uh, I could work in many different companies or many different industries. It gave me just a very broad capability um, which is what I was looking for. I was looking for 
uh, an opportunity to have a generalized career path where I could um, go in many different directions. Um, for my part, uh, I didn't want to choose one specialty and that would be you know, the extent of my career. I wanted to be able to try and do different things, um, which is just personal preference. Some people want to you know, pick a lane and in that lane for their careers. Um, that wasn't the path that I chose. Right, right. Well, I mean, the, the premise or the reason why I'm asked that question is that um, it is no secret to everyone that's in the industry that the majority of us, I would dare say probably more than 95% of us who are in the industry, um, didn't actively choose to be in it. Well, I started my career in 1982. The, the term supply chain management was coined in 1982. Right. So at the time... At the time, there was no such thing as supply chain. It wasn't called supply chain at all. It wasn't until a little later on, you know, you started hearing the phrase more and more, um, but it didn't even exist when I started my career. Yeah, right. Well, that's, you know, goes back to all of the, the organizations that I've been a part of. Um, I often, you know, go and, try to talk to the people that I work alongside with and 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 I always like to ask questions and um, and it quickly dawned on me over the years or during my early years in the industry that I was asking a lot of questions but I wasn't getting a lot of information back and what, okay. whatever information I was getting back from different people in their various roles in logistics and I'm not talking supply chain here because my my sphere is confined within logistics so um, um and people were just giving me very simplistic type of answers to almost a non-answer. And I've always scratched my head. I go, how come like these people don't know too much about what they do? Or how come these people are not, you know, uh, dare I say, uh, I don't even really wish to be, for, I mean, for them to be colorful, but at least have some level of substance. And right. um, it quickly dawned on me, you know, and it was like, okay, well, essentially all the folks around me uh doing what they've been told how it's being done that there is a greater master plan but simply because how they've this is what they've been taught by the previous person who were in their role so therefore yeah. within that reality um their information or their knowledge is restricted or constrained yeah so so when you talk about supply chain management and what have you um you know i joined the industry much later uh, than yourself I would still imagine if I mentioned or asked a question to all of the people I worked with in the first 10 years of my career, or what's supply chain management, I'm pretty sure not many of them would, would give me <laughs> a concise, accurate yeah. answer to that. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's probably several reasons for that. Again, it's, it's a relatively young uh, phrase, like it's only been 40 years since you've heard of supply chain management. You've heard of sales and marketing for, you know, centuries likely. Um, but in the case of supply chain management, because as a, as a unified profession, it's so young, um, the starting off with education and certification, that's, you know, still um, coming into its own. Um, and even at that, uh, one of my concerns with the existing, 
the education and certification programs in supply chain these days is it, it tends to be very traditional to your point. It tends to be more functional focused and does not recognize the holistic leadership capability that really needs to be um, uh, developed and tuned to really manage the whole supply chain function. So you start off with education and certification, then you start off, with, then you go to the leadership of companies. Well, most companies, um, CEOs, uh, did not start off in supply chain. They came up through sales and marketing, or they are you know, designers and engineers. Um, and that's their background. It's only very recently, and I think the pandemic is um, uh, that the pandemic has brought supply chain into the zeitgeist. Before that, before you know, 2020, you could probably ask most people what supply chain was, and you could ask your friends or your neighbors or your family or your colleagues, and they wouldn't know to your point. But now, since the pandemic, People are hearing the phrase supply chain each and every day. They're hearing it on the news. They're hearing it from their companies. They're hearing it from their politicians. Everywhere they turn, they hear it and they see it because they go to the stores and goods aren't on the shelves. And they ask why and they hear the phrase, well, it's a supply chain issue. Um, so it's. I think it's only recently that, you know, in this generation, you're gonna start to uh, get a greater appreciation and understanding of what the field actually is. Yeah, um, I think it was yourself on the article um, um, that you wrote that we um, um, of the Renaissance um, um, article that um, you, you know you 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 made mention about Amazon, right? Um, and. And that's what essentially what Amazon's business model is, right? I mean, sure, they started off trying to sell books online, but they quickly cotton on and go, okay, well, hang on a second, we've got something else going on here. But what they were trying to make or improve or trying to, you know, um, 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 design or develop was essentially a superior supply chain. Um, um, and and you look at them go now, you know, um, most people dare I say it, even still today, see Amazon as a marketplace or an online reseller of goods, but they're not that. They're a logistics and supply chain platform. You know, they've just yeah, launched, exactly. the, they've launched their Amazon global logistics now, um, which is essentially cutting into, you know, my industry, which is the freight forwarding side of things. Um, how that will work out remains to be seen, but, you know, they are trying and they're trying to develop and innovate in different ways. Um, I've always, you know, I've always thought of Amazon as a very powerful wake up call to the industry or to our industry, right? Especially in the logistics industry. Um, because yeah. I believe it was Amazon who originally, who, who were the first to start introducing robotics into warehouses. Yeah. I believe, yeah. you know, yeah. don't, don't quote me on it, but I think that is true. And, and that's what the belief, well, even if they won't, um, they were the first ones to make it known to the public and to market it, you know, bring that um, flamboyance to an industry, which was essentially, like you said, unknown to anyone, even though we use it, but yeah. nobody knew about it. Right. So, yeah. and I'm scratching my head and I go, well, hang on. Our industry hasn't, 
been around for a short while. In fact, our industry has been around for a long while, right? And one of the things I've mentioned a few, a few times in my previous podcast was, I like to think the person who invented the wheel was in logistics, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know who did it, but I like to think that. So I'm going to claim that. So, so, so our, yeah. <laughs> so our contribution as a sector or, or as an industry, you know, goes way back, way back, you know, um, uh, since the dawn of time. And then how is it that, you know, it took an Amazon to create a platform that's far superior than any other previous company involved in logistics and supply chain have able to be achieved. And I always think yeah. about that. And, and, you know, and, and you get different type of experts and scholars and they say, well, you know, because Amazon's got that commercial model with the product and all that sort of stuff. And I go, yeah, okay, well, that's a fair, that, well, that's a fair argument. Um, but with that being said, they were still pushing forwards with the development of superior supply chain, superior logistics flow and the platform to do so. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, the DHLs exactly. of the world, the UPSs of the world, the FedEx of the world, they, know, they, don't, they, they don't even stand a chance of competing with the power of that platform, right? Because that platform has a commercial element where people need to go on and to sell goods, you know? And, okay, so maybe it's not a fair fight. But with that being said, it took an, out, like an outsider to come into our industry and start shaking things up a bit. And then we start seeing yeah. DHL, you know, doing videos about their robotics and in the warehouse and so forth. And I think I just recently saw one, maybe it's a couple of years old on YouTube. And I was like, well, hang on. I, I think Amazon did this maybe over a decade ago already. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it just tells me, look, I don't like to bash my own, own, own industry because, you know, because I think it's self-defeating. Um, but it needs to be made mention of because I feel... For too long as an industry, there's a whole lot of players, right? And because there's so many players, we are all served by our self-interest of profit and loss, right? Yep. If someone's customer, get that person's customer, win a customer, make the money, make the money, make the money. And then when we come together, let's go and get drunk and talk about golf and anything but logistics. Yeah. And I think I just summarized or summed up the nature of what it is to be in logistics. <laughs> in one yeah. sentence, right? Um, so I think it is within that climate why you have written what you've written, and this is according to my opinion and my perspective, um, is because people that's in it simply are not motivated to be in it, they're not chosen to be in it, and therefore you can't really love something that you didn't actively study or choose or passionate about. And because you don't yes. really love what you do, you're not going to go home and start telling your kids about how great your job is. And if it's right, not shared right. at the dinner table, it's not going to be known. And this is my sort of very simple rule or yardstick, if you want to call it that, right? Any industry that's going to be superior, it needs to be talked at, at the dinner table because that's the grassroots. And if it's not being talked about, or if it's being talked about, it's nothing but negative. Oh, that, that company we're using, oh, they delayed my shipment again because it's always the negative stuff that gets talked about, right? <laughs> it's yeah. never the positive stuff. <laughs> so... Yeah. So I think it's in that climate why we why we find ourselves in such a such a condition or such a situation with our industry where um, where it wasn't at the fore prior to COVID it wasn't on everybody's lips prior to COVID although everybody was using it 
Um, yep. But because of COVID, now everybody's talking about it because people started running out of toilet paper, um, you know, and all that other sort of fun stuff. Um, but you know what? I'm all for it. I, I don't care how we get talked about as long as we get talked about because it's a step towards in the right direction. But do you feel um, it's sustainable? It's given the reality of what we know our sector or our industry supply chain logistics is because at the core, there is something not too whole about it. Right. I think um, to answer your question, I think it's, this is what I characterize as what I call supply chain's moment of truth. That's the period of time I believe that we're in as we're coming out of the pandemic. So what you have is a confluence of dynamics, which are all creating uh, the conditions for why I call it the supply chain renaissance. So you have, uh, we've just gone through a period of some, you know, extreme global disruption. You have a lot of people motivated to make change, either at the political level, um, with governments or in companies, um, because they need to survive uh, and they want to grow. You have an emergence of all these different fantastic technologies uh, that all really come together under supply chain. You have a growth in talent, and you have a, a you have a growth in interest and the need for change. So all of that creates, again, what I call the conditions for a supply chain renaissance, which takes us to supply chain's moment of truth. To your point, people, um, and this is my largest concern at this point in time, now that we're getting past the pandemic, people have a choice in which path they're going to take. Are they going to make the changes they need to create more resilient and robust supply chains for the future, or is inertia gonna take over and they're just gonna be stuck doing things the way they've always done. They're gonna forget all the pain they went through in surviving the pandemic, if they were lucky enough to do so, and they're just gonna go back to the old ways. And um, I think that is the, fork in the road that we're at, it's going to be very interesting to see which people take which path. Um, I think in the long term, um, as, as you're talking about Amazon, uh, companies that are not careful are going to find that companies like Amazon, there will be others, but not just them, that will embrace uh, all the technologies, they will create the digital supply chain of the future. They will create more robust and resilient supply chains. They will create circular supply chains. They will leverage supply chain as a service. They'll leverage all the technologies and they will create a differentiated business model for their companies and for their industries that'll set them apart. Uh, from competitors and enable them to grow and to grow profitably in the future. The people who don't do any of those things may survive uh, and may do well, but I think they'll find it a much more difficult path because a truth in all of this is that there will be another disaster. It might be a natural disaster. It might be weather related, might be earthquakes or tsunamis. It may be 
you know, a man-made disaster. Uh, it may be localized to a company or to a geography, but there will be some incongruity, some event which occurs, which disrupts the supply chain in any given company or any given geography in the future. And if companies don't take the steps uh, to if they haven't learned the lessons of the pandemic, um, they're just gonna go back to uh, failing again in the future. I mean, you still see uh, store shelves empty. You still see automotive dealership parking lots not full. This is going to continue. You know, companies cannot get all the semiconductor chips they need to meet all the demand. This is going to continue in the future until people make some very different decisions about how they're going to run the supply chain and how companies are going to lead leveraging supply chain. While there is a problem of, um, like you said, like a macro problem, like the pandemic, we will do. You know, you know. I guess it's one of those analogies, isn't it? It's, it's when you're forced into a corner, you're forced to innovate. You're forced to to kick and yeah. you're kick and punch and fight and to just to survive. But when that pressure yeah. goes off, right? This is the yeah. the 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 fork in the road you are talking about right now, right? And that's right. When that pressure goes off, now that's the critical moment. Uh, what does your gut tell you? how we as a community and, and as a global society will behave? Uh, I, think, I think it's a mix. And my concern is that far too many people will revert back to the old ways. I think it'll be an interest, it's an interesting time. Uh, the people who are enlightened, who really understood the lessons uh, from the pandemic are the ones who are gonna be making the advance, the investments uh, that they need to in resources, and systems and technologies um, that they need to uh, going forward. And to do that, uh, and I, I think this history would prove this to be true. And I'll go back to your Amazon example. Probably as Amazon was growing up, nobody investors included understood why Amazon was investing so much money in distribution centers located all over the, con uh, you know, uh, the world. Um, but, it, and, you know, the stock price for Amazon, uh, you know, took a hit for a long time. But once that model started to pay its dividends and people saw that Amazon was, you know, eating up all the other businesses uh, and, uh, you know, far beyond their initial vision of books, um, they became the force to be reckoned with. And, you know, the investors responded, customers responded in kind um, because they had the foresight to build that infrastructure far in advance of what everybody else thought was necessary. The same to me um, characterizes what I call the digital supply chain. So if you do not take this time, uh, I'll step back for a second. This, the pandemic clearly showed the fragility of global supply chains, no matter what industry you're in, no matter where you were around the world. Think about just-in-time systems, which have for decades been the envy of everybody. But, you know, they failed, right? If, if you can't get your parts, then your production operations and your high, entire distribution system fails immediately. Um, 
And I like the just-in-time model, but it does have to evolve somewhat. Um, now what you've got is a, a, a set of technologies. You think about predictive analytics and control towers and cloud computing and big data and augmented reality and virtual reality and autonomous vehicles and drones uh, and on and on and on. All these technologies um, really fall under the purview of supply chain. Supply chain leadership and company leadership needs to recognize a need to invest in all of this to create a digital supply chain uh, which is the backbone of which is electronic end-to-end -end connectivity at all levels of supply chain. How many people only, even today, only have visibility to their first-tier suppliers or their first-tier customer, right? And because they had lack visibility, they have such a narrow view of what's going on. If something happens downstream, downstream with their second, third, fourth-tier supplier, um, it's, you know, it's going to stop them just as uh, quickly as their first year supplier. And then upstream, if there's an issue with any of their customers, with the quality of the products or their delivery systems or their reverse logistics channels or the customer order management systems. Uh, and if they don't have visibility to that, that will kill them as well. So having the full visibility, which clearly companies have not had, um, enabled by the digital supply chain and all the technologies I talked about is the key to the future. How many people, to go back to your original question, how many people are gonna take, uh, take that path? To me, first of all, it's a decades long path law. This is not something that's gonna happen over the next couple of years. Well, I this think it's gonna, gonna be generational. Be this is just gonna be generational. It's Absolutely. gonna be generational, yeah. Um, so, and you don't have to do it all at once, but you do have to take the steps. You do have to start with a vision, then you need the leadership, then you have to create the roadmap and then start making the investments sequentially to pull this together, you know, you know, in the free, in the future. Well, I, I'm 100% on board with your digitization, um, um, uh, angle and, uh, and the necessity of digitizing the whole experience because that's just the way the future is going, right? Um, but there's a lot what you've just said. And, and, and so allow me to just unwrap that a little bit. I don't think it's that fragile. The, the, the reason why I say that is that if you look at all of our global efforts of investing in supply chain, and that is discovering which nations are going to be great at producing what, and so forth, and investing money into that country to ensure that our market gets what they want. And for the last few decades, it has been about cheap, 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 and cheap. And um, and if you look at the, the demographic of the world that we're living today, there's only going to be so many countries with the population that can satisfy the demand that we have all contributed to create. And a lot of that has been led by the corporations because they want to make quick dollars. They want to make fast fashion, fast anything, you know, when they, they just got to make a turn. Um, so we've created this current platform based on what we demanded and what the corporations that are monsters have gone and created. Um, 
And I think with the amount of investment that's happened globally to satisfy those demands, I think all of the platform we have, it's far from fragile. It's, it's very robust for our current needs or, or our current demands or what the corporations want us to, to be demanding anyway, if you want to get into that sort of, sort of discussion um, for another uh, podcast maybe. But so I think there's been enough money and enough attention focused on by the global community on the existing manufacturing platform supply chains that it is quite robust. And then we talk about logistics. Well, globally, there isn't really another area where there isn't a clear pathway of moving goods from A to B, because most of it, if not all of it, has been clearly discovered and identified and traded on, right? So we're really taking the logistics element out of logistics now, because the true essence of logistics, like I've always said, isn't about having two clear identified points and moving stuff to and fro, because that's just arbitrary, right? Because that's just um, um, day to day. All of the ports, all of the airports are already um, identified and they're well traded on by, by well identified suppliers, um, you know, be a shipping line, be an airline, be a freight forwarders. So the world as a whole is, is very well discovered. It's, it's very well discovered. And it is getting products to places very efficiently. And, and if you look at, you know, prior to the pandemic or, you know, even now, for example, post-pandemic, well, we're, we're still in it. Um, the speed of how, we, how we're able to get a product created, made, and delivered to the end point, it's astonishing. And when you have that type of outcome, you, I don't feel the whole process is fragile or the whole platform is fragile. It's, in fact, quite robust. What the fragile, what brings the fragility into it is the human element and the, and the nature of certain suppliers and their business models. And I'll give you an example why, you know, goods stopped moving and we weren't getting our parts and what have you. Um, well, most of it was created by the few decision makers in the shipping lines. It's, it's no fault of theirs that their business model is a simplistic one. It is a very simplistic one. They've got this metal structure, which they have to load and maximize revenue on every space that they have. That is their business model. And you can digitize all that stuff all you want. At the end of the day, that's what they're there to do. Now, digitization will help. Will, it will optimize. It will allow them to predict and all that sort of good stuff, which will come, I feel, within the next 10 years or so. But prior to that, that is their business model. So therefore, I'm not saying shipping lines are not intelligent. In fact, they can be as intelligent as they want, but they cannot escape their reality of needing to fill that metal box with as a much profitable um, 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 cargo or revenue, high revenue cargo um, as possible. So when pandemic happened, um, fear came in and these are still human beings. They're not robots, you know? So naturally they go, well, geez, the world is coming to an end. I've got all these metal boxes that I can't load cargo anymore because demand is just gonna go to zero. <clears throat> now in hindsight, that was a huge knee-jerk reaction. 
huge because like most of us, we didn't foresee, go, well, hang on, we still have to live, we still have to consume. Therefore, if we're going to get locked inside, we can't travel anymore. I mean, you know, I mean, we, nobody could know what the government was going to do to us or how hard they were going to lock us down. Um, but again, that's another topic altogether. They were knee-jerking. So what we had with pandemic is we had all through the community and society, we had varying levels of um, authority and regulators all knee-jerking. We had all commercial entities knee-jerking. That's created this fragility that we speak of. In fact, the platform itself is not fragile, but it is the human decisions within it that is making it super fragile because we knee jerk. And when they decided to start scrapping vessels um, instead of keeping them moored um, because it was going to be more, more, you know, they were going to save more money by earning the, the scrap price on the metal of those ships than just having docked somewhere with not moving. Um, when they made that decision, in the space of, I think, was less than six months when the pandemic happened. I thought that was the one of the most devastating knee-jerk reactions that could have been done. And this is what drove us to the supply chain crisis that we see today, why we weren't seeing the products in the shelves, right? Because 90% of the goods around the world is moved by ships. So I feel that ultimately the supply chain disaster that we faced and we continue to feel the remnants of that has been created by the shipping lines themselves and it's but a handful of decision makers and the scary part of it is there is no, there is no regulatory oversight of that or control of that at all so to me though it still it still says the entire system is fragile so it doesn't matter that the infrastructure is there if the execution fails, then it really doesn't matter what the source is. So I understand your point, but if you if, if goods are not delivered, if ports are congested, if the Suez Canal get, get blocked and it you know it uh, you know you know stops trade and, and delivery for half the you know one of the hemispheres, I mean that's a problem. So you know. When you think about uh, last year, I think probably before the holiday season, you started to hear more about companies looking to, you know, have air charters or to charter their own ships, That's as right. an example. That's right. So, so to me, the fundamental issue is not just digitalization. That's that's part of what I call the supply chain renaissance, but it is about creating that resilient and robust supply chain, which means having more than one solution if you're going to have a problem and having the mm. visibility to enable you to proactively make those decisions so an example i would use would be semiconductor fabrication so you know the current reality of the world is that the vast majority of semiconductors are manufactured in taiwan mm -hmm. and shipped from taiwan um, which in retrospect is a, what I call a single point of failure. So if through political or other means that supply channel is disrupted, people have no other solution. The same uh, logic applies to logistics. 
you need to have different solutions. So the infrastructure may be their law, but the, unless you have backup plans, unless you have contingencies, unless you have dual sources for your logistics solutions, it's all fragile because it only takes one storm or one accident to disrupt the delivery of goods for any given customer. And that's how they would look at it. So while the infrastructure might be in place, the fragility still uh, exists in the whole ecosystem if it doesn't execute well. Um, and I also come from a view that um, what I say is waiting for good forecasting is a bad strategy, right? As much as people try to improve the forecasting tools and get better forecast accuracy, it's really a panacea. It's, it's not reality. It's not ever gonna come to be. So what you need to do is uh, architect, you know, you know a, a lead time agnostic supply chain is what I call it, um, which has enough contingency or resilience that if something happens in one part of your supply chain, you just have to pull another lever and you have another solution to keep you going. But too many people didn't have that. So, so what's these, what, what are these additional solutions though? Because if, if, if we can maybe just jump into a time machine, go back to pre-pandemic or during as the pandemic is happening, what could have been some potential additional lifesavers about us that could have allowed us to weather the storm a little bit better? Well, I, I think you touched on one of them. So um, just because when the pandemic started, everybody's staying at home, it doesn't mean they're not consuming goods. It not, doesn't mean they're buying things. Within three to six months, you saw the demand for a lot of products uh, was increasing dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people did not look at those real-time signals that they're getting to demand, mm -hmm. and they were caught flat-footed. Like you said, they took capacity offline. Uh, and, and part of that what is the mentality of trying to make a profit and, um, you know, trying to cut costs immediately yeah. Yeah. when just a little patience um, and a little, you know, sit back and think about what's going on may have caused some people to, you know, not take as much capacity offline as quickly as they did because it happened everywhere. Um, and if they didn't do that, uh, the hole that we dug wouldn't have been quite as big and it would be take a little less time to dig ourselves out of it. Well, we've come sort of full circle now, haven't we? Like, you know, now we're getting back into the holistic side of things and that is how do we create better decision makers in the sector yes. that's supply chain and logistics? I feel, again, it's going to be a generational thing because um, my personal viewpoint is, yes, pandemic has brought our sector into the fore um, for discussion and it's on the tips of everyone's lips. Um However, I still feel a lot of the community that are talking about it still do not understand us because rightly so, because I think most of us in the industry don't even understand what really half of us really do uh, because the education is just so poor. Um, and when you have a vastly unmotivated workforce or unwilling workforce, this is what 
you get. Um, so being talked about is a great start. And I certainly, I genuinely hope that with the pandemic and with us being, or our sector being talked about so much that younger folks can actually start paying attention a little bit more to our industries. Um, yes, agree. You know, it's something that we do in our business is that we have, we constantly reaching out to educational bodies and universities or, you know, community colleges, as you would call it and so forth, and try to have these conversations and engage with them, um, um, both the educators as well as the students to try to promote in our own little way, our what we do in a fun yes. way and to try to explain to them what it is and what it means to be one of us. Um, but we're just one tiny little voice in a massive ocean. And I'm sure there is a lot of, a lot of my good competitors out there that are probably doing the same thing, but nothing is being done in a cohesive manner. Um, there isn't one industry body that is purely uh, created for educational purposes, purely yeah. for where you've got captains of all the different um, companies of different varying sizes in our industry, what have you, come together where they devote a bit of their time or be, devote a bit of their resources and then come together, create this body, and all they do, and their only purpose is no profits. It's just how to go and create better talent flowings, right? Go and find your talent pool and create those flowings. Um, yeah. I don't believe that association or that body exists anywhere on this planet today. I agree. I mean, I wrote one article. Well, first of all, I'd say um, there's a different set of skills required in supply chain and supply chain leadership in the future than we've needed traditionally. Uh, I cover that in an article I wrote called Quantum Leap to the Supply Chain Skills of the Future. And I also wrote an article called... Um, supply chain education and certification, what's missing. And I agree with your point. It's too much of any education that there is today is on traditional skills. Um, but the, um, the exciting part to me is that supply chain probably is the most interesting and exciting career path somebody could choose today because of everything you and I have talked about, there's so much opportunity, but it will all come down to leadership, leadership in companies and industries, leadership in education and certification, and not just, your people have the strength, the courage, the bravery to kind of push this agenda um, and, and implement the change leadership skills to really make a difference to make this generational change yeah well i guess we're we're trying to do some of that through podcasts such as this right just to talk about it and then you know as a business you know we we have we are investing a lot of our time and energy and effort and money into the marketing department of our business um, where most of our competitors wouldn't even have a marketing person let alone a department um, and we're not doing it just for self-promotion, but we're doing it for community drive. I mean, you know, it's mainly for community education and a drive to attract more interest. Because again, I'm just simply trying to create conversation. Um, so people who, who happens to come across this type of content, they can 
have some level of insight going, okay, I can at least get my teeth around this a little bit now, you know, whereas if normally you ask anyone, you know, what supply chain logistics is, not many people is going to be able to tell you what, what yeah. that really means, yeah. right? And we're trying to change that. So I think we're doing a bit of that by just having this conversation. Um, you know, we did touch on this again. And I think the challenge I see in the future right now and going into the future with, I mean, attracting talent. Um, I think there's three massive challenges. Um, you know, one obviously will require time and, um, and, and with time, there's emergence of other new and flashy things that attract the attentions of younger folks, right? For example, now, if you look at um, coding, you know, they are teaching young kids as young as almost in preschool or kindergarten, I think maybe primary school, on how to code, right? So it's, it's really going into that very tech sector. And, in, and if you're looking at the captains of the industries these days being talked about, Elon Musk, he's a nerdy coder. Right, Amazon. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos. He's essentially a techie guy too, right? Facebook, Apple. It's all tech, and where you have all of these type of industries and discussions surrounding that one, let's call it just a subset of our community, all the kids are going to be wanting to be that like them, right? Yes. Um, you know, back in the olden days, kids I think wanted to be fire engine drivers right or, or or truck drivers you know but now i think most of them they they want to become a tech guy and and we're seeing that so the biggest challenge there is competing industries um, um, um where it's going to take a lot of that young energy and young focus away from our industry so that's going to go against us um the second part is that you'll find we touched on this briefly earlier with amazon you got other emergent hybrid industries. They're not really a logistics company. They're not really an e-commerce company, but they're like this mishmash of this whole thing. And it's given us, our community, a new platform of how to do things, right? Some of the examples are Wayfair, for example. One of my good friends, P. Mento, he is the uh, commercial manager for the freight forwarding sector of Wayfair, right? Now that's essentially another Amazon model at play right now for the bulky goods right yeah. and then you have another digital forwarder which is um had a meteoric rise um, um due to its systems um which is flexport right massive attention massive investments massive success story there um but of one of the recent announcements which was again right in line of what we're talking about here is almost morphing yourself into this hybrid style of industry and they partnered with shopify right and i thought that was a very genius move why because well you started off as a digital forwarder you you didn't start off as an amazon 2.0 but now you're seeing that okay there is some gap between amazon and what you do as a business how do we capture that market well shopify is one of our investors Let's partner them with, I mean, partner up with them. So we've got the front end commercial facing side and we've got the freight side, put them together. You have essentially this hybrid Amazon model at play now, yeah, right? Yeah. Super powerful thinking there. 
Right. I mean, to be frank, you know, I mean, I'm super envious that I'm not in that decision making chair or in, in part of that group for me to brainstorm and come up with these ideas because that stuff excites me because they they are forward thinking because they know if they continue to do what they're currently doing, they're going to be automated out. They're going to be coded out. Right. They're going to be digitized out. Um, yeah. And what is your purpose after that? So. There is movements. And so, again, for a traditional guy in a traditional for freight forwarding environment in logistics who are still belonging to the traditional way of doing things, all of these developments I see as challenges in us attracting the talent we need to bring us forward. <laughs> right. yeah. Because it's the yeah. ones that already has those resources that are winning. Yeah. Right? And so... That's a massive challenge. And, you know, and I guess the third part is just the, the third massive challenge is just existing status quo of our industry, where how many people in my industry, in supply chain, that's as we know it today, actually even thinks on the same tangent as us, or even have the passion to want to think about it, instead of just going, I'm just here to make my money and find the quickest way out. Yeah, you know. So the third biggest is the status quo. How do we change the status quo? Yeah. So those things keep me up at night. I agree. I think it it'll come. It comes down to leadership. Um, uh, first and foremost, people who have the vision, and you don't have to do it all yourself. To use the Shopify example, uh, I call it supply chain as a service. Yeah. So particularly small for small to medium-sized businesses, you don't have to recruit and build all that talent internally. It's just not possible. And to your point, it probably doesn't exist. But if you can leverage organizations who are specialists in procurement, as an example, if you want to outsource your procurement organization, there are a lot of companies who uh, you know, provide procurement as a service. And these are people who love that field, who know it inside and out. They already have the systems, they have the processes, they have the supplier connections, um, they have all that in place. So to me, that's part of the answer to the talent question um, and interest. You don't have to do it all yourself. Leverage experts uh, in the field. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many experts can we leverage, though, in the field that are interested in being leveraged? <laughs> as many as you need. I, I guarantee you, if you're looking for a procurement, you can find it pretty quick. Right. We need as many people on board to help to lift us. I mean, again, going back to your article, this is going to be a renaissance of sorts, and we're going to need all the help we need for our renaissance, right? Um, yes, like, exactly. I think, you know, I mean, even just as, so as we're talking, you know, like the brilliance of the Amazons of the world is that, you know, a guy can be joining Amazon doing exactly what we do, be a supply chain, be a logistics or bring freight, right? But they've glamorized that. That person no longer joins them as a freight guy. He joins them as I work for Amazon. That is brilliant, you know, so... Um, uh, and I think the glorification of our industry to make it more glamorous is, is required because, because that's what 
young folks love to do because they want to be part of something that's cool, right? Um, and unfortunately, until now, freight and logistics and supply chain hasn't been cool enough. Um, but you are right. We, we, we do need all the experts we can get our hands on to, to even create some, some level of think tank or cohesive collaboration to help us find additional ways of growth and evolve. Yeah, agreed. So, um, so I think we've um, we've we we've covered most of the things you wanted to cover. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? For anybody um, who is um, interested, I would just encourage them go to supplychaingamechanger.com. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's a ton of content. Uh, there should be a, able to help somebody with specific problems or just in thinking and visioning about the future. Um, that is fundamentally what I'm trying to do with the site is just advance the profession for the benefit of anybody um, and with that, whatever challenge they're dealing with uh, from one day to the next. Well, what I would like to ask of you, uh, Mike, is that I know a lot of um, 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 thought experts in practical things in our industry, but I don't know too many uh, thought experts that also covers the holistic side, you know, which is what, you know, you and I um, have been talking about and something that I'm actually quite yeah. passionate about. So I would like to yeah. continuously draw on your expertise and your wisdom in that field in my future podcasts, um, where we might have a panel and so forth, and we can come together and we can keep the conversation going uh, and hopefully create some um, positive momentum for our sectors. Well, that sounds great, Lon. Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure, and I've always got my industry to thank. That you know, in my early years, I traveled the world and met some great people working in this industry. Um, a lot of unsung heroes, um, and 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 once again, you know, um, um, today, my due to what I do and due to my industry, we've I've crossed paths with yourselves, someone who is equally passionate about what we do for our careers. Um, and you know what? We didn't talk about the weather for one second, and we didn't talk about golf for one second, and uh, and that for me is a win. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Law. Yes, you know it's uh, most most welcome, and um, and I'm very um, very humbled by your passion. Thank you very much. Yep, and uh, keep in touch, and we will circle back um, 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 sometime in the very near future where, as we create more content. Okay, fantastic. Have a great day, and thanks to your audience. Yes, be well, uh, Mike, and um, I'll speak soon. Need help with your next shipment? Feel free to visit our website at www.tgl.co to book an obligation-free consultation. You can also check out the video for this episode on our YouTube channel. And while you're at it, add us on Instagram at TGL underscore global or LinkedIn and Facebook by searching Think Global Logistics. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.